we are starting our fifth week of lockdown and we're expecting the peak to be over the next couple of weeks. So I live in a more built urban environment. So Bethlehem is a small city, but it's a, it is a city nonetheless. People for the most part have been um, actually been pretty, pretty good about keeping physical distance from each other. Luckily, you seem to be in a reasonable area. People don't seem to be much of a problem. We came in March, the, the virus just had started then, and we didn't think it was something serious. So we we're just like, well, it's the thing of the West, right? And we just came to Congo, things were going okay, uh, but then it got really bad. The lockdown happened and everything was shut down. So even surviving is uh, getting something to eat, you know, like food or groceries is, is difficult here. So it's been a very tough um, sudden switch that uh, I'm really trying to <laughs> cope with here. I think we were in lockdown since uh, end of March. So entire April, we've been in lockdown. We've been working from home. I was staying here alone initially, and then my family moved from the US in January. So things haven't been easy, but I would say that at this point of time, me and my wife, and I have a two and a half year old, he will be turning three. We are trying to find a rhythm amidst the chaos. You are listening to episode two of This Uncommon Ground, voices and perspectives from around the world as we live and navigate through uncommon times. My name is Tanya, and in this project and podcast, I'm documenting and sharing people's experiences through conversations as we live through this global pandemic and the time of COVID-19. As you've heard from the voices in the opening of this episode, things haven't been easy. This episode was produced in June 2020. The interviews you hear in this episode were conducted over a month before, in the first week of May. And on the first day of May, The Guardian reported on Johns Hopkins University data that more than one million people had recovered from coronavirus infection. While the worldwide infection stood at 3,269,667, having lost over 233,000 lives in the pandemic so far. In the opening of this episode, you heard from voices speaking from Mexico, the United States, the Republic of the Congo, Luxembourg, and Kyrgyzstan. In today's episode, we'll only get to three of those places, but we'll get a closer look at the ups and downs from Elba in Mexico City, Sonia in Brazzaville, and Aicharek in a neighborhood outside of Bishkek. To get us started, here's Elba. First off, could you just give us a context of where you're calling from, what's going on, where you are, what's surrounding you in this moment? I'm in Mexico City. I'm Mexican. What is going on right now is that we are starting our fifth week of lockdown. Um, we're expecting the peak to be over the next couple of weeks. People is always super tired already because we haven't had a, an absolute lockdown. It has been more like voluntary lockdown, but the fact is that 
the government has established that because so many people cannot just start to live their lives in their homes, you know? So there's a lot of informal works and a lot of people depending on that kind of task. So the, that, that is a voluntary lockdown, but still it's quite scary. And it is also quite scary because we have this double, you know, like speech from the government. On one hand, we have this subsecretary from the, the public health ministry who has been really diligent and really, you know, like scientist-based, you know, answers and stuff. And on the other hand, you have this president who has been all the time so rhetorical and without any kind of sense of what is going on real in reality. Something else that is happening is that I think people is not really scared about COVID, but it's more scared about getting into the public health system if they get sick, which is even more scarier, you know, like the, 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 the service is so bad and it's so, so full of people that you don't want to get into that mess, you know? It's not about the COVID, but it's about the bureaucracy. I'm in my boyfriend's apartment, actually. We are uh, doing the lockdown together. So yeah, I'm in the balcony right now because it's the only exterior world that I have right now. <laughs> and it's the nicest place, I think, in the apartment. Yeah, I mean, to live in a place where you can step out and get some fresh air, it makes all the difference. Could you explain a bit more about voluntary lockdown? What does that mean in Mexico? So five weeks ago, they declared this healthy distance campaign which you basically have to stay home if you can stay home. And if you are in the exterior, you have to keep this uh, whole distance. But the thing is that I was saying so many people cannot just work from home. So the informal works and stuff, um, I mean, there have not been this kind of strict measures like in other countries where you have to, to give an excuse every time you go out of your home or that you have to be carrying, you know, a special permit or stuff. So it has been more like if you have the opportunity to stay home, you stay there and work from there. And companies, please allow your employers to, 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 yeah, to just work in your houses. Some special regulations have been issued. For example, some non-essential business had to shut down and they have to allow their employees to work from home. But there have been a lot of discussion about it because, yeah, at the end, I think it's like quite a Latin American thing this relationship between government and real powers, like economical real powers. So even though some businesses are not essential, they keep open, you know, and they still forcing their employees to go. So yeah, it, it really, really depends on your privileges and the kind of work that you have. And also, of course, if you like are in a safe space, you know, like if you're not a victim of domestic violence or something like that, then you can, of course, stay home. Mm. What has the voluntary lockdown meant for you personally or in your, for work? What has been the change in your day-to-day -day rhythm? A lot. <laughs> like a lot. Yeah, yeah actually, um, I had to start the lockdown two weeks earlier <laughs> because a colleague from my boyfriend had contact with a confirmed case of COVID. So, you know, it was like this really far away chain from me, but still I was under the rules, like saying, if you had this kind of contact, then you had to lock down. So, yeah, I was in my office and uh, uh, Nico called me saying like, yeah, this happened. So maybe you can decide on what to do. And that day I packed two boxes with my files. I'm a lawyer. So I, I had time to put like two boxes filled with my, with my files, my computer, an extra screen. And I was just home, you know, like suddenly I was home and all my plans was canceled. Five days after that, my office decided to, to also lock down and, you know, we are going to close. So it has been quite interesting. First, because 
I'm really used to have a lot of uh, physical activity. You know, I cycle to work and I go for runnings and I go to my yoga class. So, you know, I have all these activities around. And now I, I only have yoga, yeah. <laughs> uh, like from a screen, exactly, <laughs> you know, like from a screen, which is also kind of weird. Um, that was on one hand. On the other hand, I, I work human rights cases. So I, most of the time I'm in contact with my clients and now I cannot see them, you know, and I cannot really speak to them because they are also from really low income classes. So they don't usually have Skype or Zoom or, you know, like this kind of direct contact. Also, not all, but most of the justice institutions in Mexico just closed down because also you cannot have people in the courts or in the administrative, you know, like a site. So everything got paralyzed, which has been a really big challenge in terms of justice because having a lockdown doesn't mean that human rights violations are not happening. And the thing for me has been this really deep reflection on how my profession is so close to a running state, you know, like. Even though I'm trying to fight the state, I need the state to actually work, <laughs> which is kind of weird. Um, it has been a really big challenge because many like contradictory uh, regulations have been issued by the uh, judicial power. And that, that has changed in the terms of dynamic. But the thing is also that I have a lot of work. Like I still having, you know, like 10, 11 hours of work every day at home. So the good thing is that here at Nikos, um, his roommate went with her, uh, her girlfriend. So her room, we transformed it into like an um, improvised office for me, which is the picture that I sent you. Um, it's the space where I spend most of the hours of my day. So, and it has been also quite stressing for me because I, I coordinate this pro bono program at my office. And it means that I have to give work for everyone in my, in my office. And I have been creating lot of projects you know like okay we cannot go to court but we are gonna do this information rights blah blah project or this legal research blah 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 so yeah <laughs> it has been quite crazy i think just now i'm getting used to it actually we'll get to more of elba's work in human rights in a future episode but for now we're moving on to congo brazzaville I'm Sonia, and I'm originally from Cameroon. Sonia had just moved back to Cameroon in December after getting her degree in Canada. She had raised funds to do a project with displaced persons, particularly women and children, amidst the crisis in Cameroon. Not the crisis surrounding the pandemic, but a different crisis. There are so many Anglophones that have been killed in their different uh, regions. It's, it's quite, a, I could say, a genocide, but uh, it's debatable. But you know, I've I've, I've experienced so many people uh, being killed that I know uh, from my home country, uh, from my hometown especially. So this really pushed me to come back to do something about the displaced uh, persons. Well, the funds that I raised to come and do the project, I ran out of funds, and I decided to find a job. And uh, my sister was like, "Hey, uh, why don't you?" come work for me. Uh, she was actually on a plan to expand her business to Congo, Brazzaville. And I was like, okay, why not? I've never been to Congo. This is my first time being to another African country. Uh, funny though. <laughs> so I just jumped on the plane with her. We came here. We came in March and the virus just had started then and we didn't think it was something serious. So we we're just like, well, it's the a thing of the West, right? 
and we just came to Congo. Things were going okay, uh, but then it got really bad and um, the lockdown happened and everything was shut down. So even surviving is uh, getting something to eat, you know, like food or groceries is, is difficult here. So it's been a very tough um, sudden switch that uh, I'm really trying to <laughs> cope with here. Mm. Could you give us a little bit more of a description about what the lockdown is like where you are? The lockdown, I'll say, is really, the experience is really very difficult here uh, for me, especially here in Congo, because even going out, you're not even allowed to go out. Only a certain class of people go out, people that have cars, and they have to have like an access to go out. My first experience of trying to go out during the lockdown, because I was losing my mind already, it was like days and days and weeks of staying locked in the house. You're not a prisoner, but you can't go out. And I was just, you know, losing my mind. I decided to take a walk to just, you know, see my environment. I was stopped by some cops. Um, it wasn't a good experience. So they were like, you're not supposed to go out. You're supposed to have a pass. And uh, yeah, they went on and on and they wanted to me I had to pay them some money for them to let me go so that was a very traumatic experience for me when I came home it really discouraged me from even trying to go out um, again so because I'm here with my sister uh, we found some guy who is in Nebo and he kind of goes out to help us get groceries and then we pay him that's what we do because you know and being strangers here I think uh, when we spoke to our neighbors, they were like, these cops did that because we are definitely strangers and they just wanted to extort money from us that anybody could walk around as long as you're not going somewhere very far. Even though, to be honest, people are not really walking around because everyone is just scared and locked in. Uh, but it's really difficult here because people don't have food to eat, things are difficult. I understand the lockdown in the West, you know, the structure there is different. You can order your food or whatever that you want from, you know, like you can order stuff online basically uh, and get it dropped at your doorstep. But here it's super difficult because we don't have the structures to really support online marketing or even online education. So it's really been a difficult one here. I just think that the lockdown strategies that African governments are using is not working and they don't really care about the people. They don't care about um, those who don't have nothing to eat. The inequality is just showing really, like it just exposes, you know, our society to, to, to how during such a period is the rich that have the access to go out, they have the cars to get whatever they want. And those that they have not, they, they, they can't even go out. You go out, you're being, uh, you know, called by the cops to, to, you know, to interrogate you while you're going out and you have to give money to let yourself free. So it's really very difficult here. Mm. There's so many layers of challenges and, you know, it's great that you found a way to get the bare necessities, but it sounds like even that is not available to other people. I wonder if you could also give me a picture you know, if you're in touch with friends and family in Cameroon, if there's a similar situation going on there, how does it compare to what you're going through right now? Um, oh, this lockdown, since I'm always indoors, thank goodness that we got 
an internet subscription before the lockdown. Otherwise, um, I don't think, I don't know how I would go because the only thing that keeps me and my sister is the internet. We get to now connect more with family and friends and just, you know, we, we like spending our time online, either talking to family, to friends or browsing social media. Uh, I think that's something that's really taken a part of our time that has really taken us away from what we're experiencing. I've been able to talk to my family back in Cameroon and things there are very different because even when there was lockdown there, because a few days ago they uplifted the, the lockdown in Cameroon, but even when there was a lockdown there, uh, the government kind of let people, you know, go about their daily activities uh, until 4 p.m. in the evening. Even though schools were closed and uh, nightclubs and, and some open uh, public places were closed, uh, people could still do economic activities like go open their shops, sell groceries and, you know, whatnot. So for them, it was not as difficult as it is for us here because they only experienced, you know, that lockdown for as from 4 p.m. But from morning to like 4 p.m., things were normal. About the death toll, I don't, you know, I, I can't really say about the numbers. I've been seeing that Cameroon has one of the highest COVID cases. So I don't know if there's any relation with their, the strategies they use uh, to combat COVID and these numbers that we see. But people care about going out to find food to eat, you know, like people want to feed their families. They prefer to die finding bread for their families than being locked up and then dying of hunger, you know? So it's kind of a choice, a very difficult choice to make. Uh, but for people in Cameroon, it was a lot uh, easier. And especially now that it's been lifted, people are really happy. I saw a video just before you called that uh, there were some guys really excited and they were like jubilating. One was saying he cannot go without drinking his beer. It's, it's his life. He rather dies <laughs> than not drink beer, you know what I mean? So I guess here in Congo, the people are just like waiting for when the ban will be uplifted as well. But here people are staying home. They are hungry. Even here with cooked food, me and my sister and try to share with our neighbors because so many people here lack. We've had neighbors come to beg us for money just because they don't have nothing to eat. And, you know, this, it's, it's very difficult to see that there's a lockdown, but the government did not really strategize on how to help those who cannot afford to eat if they are locked in for all this time, you know. So it's a very yeah difficult situation <laughs> why grappling to stay sane just being locked home uh you're thinking about what you're going to eat or you're looking at the neighbor who has basically nothing to eat and you're looking how long will i continue to help enable get something to eat you know so it's a very difficult period. There's a lot more to hear about Sonia's experiences, but now let's go to Kyrgyzstan and meet Aichurek. So like all of the world, uh, Kyrgyzstan has been in lockdown mm -hmm. uh, for, I think we were in lockdown since uh, end of March. So entire April, we've been in lockdown, we've been working from home. 
um, uh, the minimal um, traveling is allowed so you cannot enter the city or you cannot uh, leave the village if you're in a village. You're only allowed to leave the houses for um, groceries and to get medicine. We have now in Kyrgyzstan 700 cases, I think 400 recoveries. And the quarantine ends in Kyrgyzstan on May 12th. So on May 12th, I'm back to work. Can you talk about where, where exactly you are and what that's been like to shift into the quarantine? Actually, a lot of people thought, and nice me too in the beginning, I thought it would be just a long holiday laying home and doing nothing but it's been very challenging in fact it was very challenging because our work didn't stop because i work for united nations welfare program and we're as a humanitarian organization we didn't stop working and one of the projects or activities we did during this covid uh, lockdown is that we distributed a food aid so we distributed food to vulnerable families and it's been a lot of work and working like that from home was very challenging because i mean i couldn't reach my colleagues i didn't know what was going on in the fields where people were i'm a media person so i couldn't reach media and like talk to them properly so it's been just online i was very challenging and being in lockdown and sitting in one place all the time mm-hmm. it's very hard for me i didn't know it but it's very hard um and like I had a lot of um, like mental issues because I was for a lot of time I was alone in mm-hmm. my home, so I didn't have anyone to talk to. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was that was the challenge. Now it sounds like you're talking about those mental concerns as more of something in the past. Have you been able to find a rhythm that has helped you, or like a new practice that has helped you? Yeah, uh, I think uh, new practices or regime uh, routine helped a lot. But I think in the end, I just got used to being home all the time. I just I would uh, recommend to anyone who didn't work out who didn't work out yet what to do to follow a routine like wake up at the same time. I mean, it's the all the usual things that everyone recommends. Eating well. So I'm very lucky to have a treadmill in my house. <laughs> so I did treadmill for a bit. Yeah. And as I said, I was alone. It was very hard for me because I was alone. Mm-hmm. But then recently I moved to, with my parents. Mm-hmm. So I came to my parents' house and it's been much, much better. And as I said, I had an opportunity to walk in the nature, um, to breathe the fresh air and that's it. You mentioned that you're going to be going back to work on the 12th of May. Do you think that's a hard date? You're, you're certainly going back. No, I'm actually waiting for it (laughs) because (laughs) I want to go back to work, go back to the office and have a normal life again. I think I'm the only one in the office who is looking forward going back because everyone I'm talking to like work Skypes, they're like, yeah, I think I kind of got used to being home and not going to the office. I'm like, how? I want (laughs) to go back. What do you think it is about going back to the office that you love so much? Is it the routine of being able to go different places or is it stimulation of being at work and being around people? Being home all the time, I miss the routine. I mean, I tried to establish it, but still it's not the same. I think what I miss is the routine of going to the office, mm. sitting on my desk, working, and like when 6 p.m., I'm leaving the work <laughs> and I'm not thinking about work anymore, you know? I just leave the office and that's it. Um, Also, I miss people. I miss having lunch with my colleagues. We sit in the office, like we sit six people. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of people and I miss 
seeing their faces, emotions, laughing or gossiping, having tea or whatever. I just miss those, um, mm-hmm. those times that we had. It's those small connections that you don't realize, you know, day to day that actually fill up your, yeah. your social cup, if you will. People are not afraid, I would say, here, not anymore, because it's been, it's getting hotter now in Kyrgyzstan, like it's mm-hmm. almost summer. Uh, and because it's very hot, people stop wearing masks. They're not afraid. I would say they're not afraid anymore. And especially with the number of people, people that get COVID is getting lower and lower every day. Yeah. So it's a good sign. But in the villages, we've been doing analysis of how uh, of the awareness of people on COVID and uh, measures like how to prevent it. The results show that a lot of people are very aware of the symptoms and how to take care of it and how to pre- prevent. Could you talk a little bit about how you think beyond your own neighborhood, how other people in your city or in your country, like you mentioned, people aren't scared. They're very aware, which I think is quite important. Do you think there's going to be other types of disruptions to their lives? What is your sense about what's going to happen next? And was this a big deal where you are? Yeah, I've heard that uh, it's going to affect the economy hugely. Mm -hmm. But I can tell now that a lot of people lost their jobs. It's been devastating to see how many families are are not being able to buy food, Mm -hmm. um, for example, because they lost their job. It's the daily job. For example, a taxi driver, he cannot earn money. It will get back to normal, but it will require some time. For example, the very uh, simple example, in the very beginning, when I think in February, in the beginning of February, when the COVID was not very serious and there were no cases in Kyrgyzstan, right when we closed the border with China, in the supermarkets, we couldn't get any food because turns out we get, we get all the food from China. And I was very surprised because I thought like we can grow there, we can grow our food in greenhouses, but turns out we import everything from China. So uh, right now we have food, thankfully, because the greenhouses are working. But and I hope I hope this will stay the same. But that's just a simple example of how how much we depend on China. So I wasn't aware. I thought everything is produced in Kyrgyzstan, <laughs> like food. This food is produced in Kyrgyzstan. And you're talking about fresh produce? Yeah, so, yeah, like greens, leafy greens. We yeah. cannot even produce our own leafy greens. It's terrible. How has that bounced back from, from that time? I think the greenhouses, they just started producing more because there was a lot of demand. And how difficult is it for you to get groceries where you are? For example, in different cities around the world, people queue for hours sometimes yeah. you know, just to get into the supermarkets. Uh, is there any of that kind of experience where you are? No, there, there are no queues. Um, everything is normal. You just enter the supermarket, clean your hands and go buy anything. I wouldn't say there is shortage of anything except mm-hmm. for maybe some vegetables. Um, but other than that, it's, uh, it's very easy to get groceries. You just need to have money. Some products like fresh produce, uh, the prices went up really fast, like garlic and ginger. Mm. Those are very cheap, but now they're very expensive because they're good for your immune system. Yeah. I love garlic. That's why I cook a lot with it, but it's not common in Kyrgyz culture. It's okay. not common in Kyrgyz cuisine. 
I've asked every participant in this Uncommon Ground to send me a photo that tells a bit of their story or experiences in the last couple of months or weeks. Let's hear more about what inspired Aitrodex photos. Now that you're staying in a place that has more nature, can you talk a little bit about that and, and what that's been like to have that after having been in quarantine in a different place? I mean, it was amazing. <laughs> um, so in quarantine, in the city, I, as I said, I have a treadmill. So mm -hmm. I used to walk on treadmill every day for 30 minutes. So, but here, um, I go for walks with my sister every day. Mm -hmm. uh, and in Bishkek, which is the capital city where I stay, the air is very bad. Mm -hmm. I mean, right now it's, it's much better because the cars were not allowed for a long time. But in general, it's very bad. But here, outside the city, air is very good. Mm -hmm. uh, and as I said, this year, like I've noticed more than anything else, the nature has been thriving. Everything is green, like unusually green, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like We have a lot of trees and a lot of grass outside. Mm -hmm. um, and it's the closed area that our house is located in. So we're, we can safely walk. Being able to go outside, uh, and walk or sit on the grass on my backyard. Now from a picture of the green outdoors of Kyrgyzstan to a home office in Mexico City. Let's hear why Alba chose this photo to tell a bit of her story. I think it's because I actually was able to, to move my whole day to, to a new place, you know. The thing with lawyers is that we are quite a traditional profession, you know, so we don't really have a share spaces for work or, you know, like we don't really work in teams or, you know, like this really cool millennial stuff that most of the profession can do, we don't. So, yeah, I mean, the, the space that I have in my office is almost the same than that. It's quite done in a small square. I have my, my you know, my shelves, my files, my computer, and that's it. Yeah, it's quite weird for me that I was able to actually move everything up. Even my desk looks almost the same. Sort of recreated. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the only mm. thing that I don't have is like this interaction with my colleagues, like, you know, like physically. But still, I, I have all the day's calls, or zoomings, and blue jeans. So yeah, that, that was why it was a picture that I chose actually. And now back to Sonia and the Republic of the Congo. I wonder if you could talk about the photo that you sent me for this project. Describe that a bit and why that is the one that you chose to tell your story. Really, this period has been very difficult, like I said. One of the things I've been struggling with is my mental health, you know. Uh, as much as this, the internet, as much as I talk to my friends and family and all, still psychologically just not being able to get a lot of things done because I'm locked in a strange country that <laughs> my first time being in this country, I cannot go back. And, you know, all that emotion is, is really difficult for me to deal with. But that picture really shows, if you look at the picture I took, I took it from my window. It shows, you know, the sunset. Every day I get to watch the sunset because I spend time there in my room. It's basically my life there. And uh, when I watch the sunset, it really kind of helps me to, to see that, you know, no matter what challenges, you know, one is going through right now, no matter uh, how 
difficult the situation is, the lockdown and everything, it's momentary. It's, it's hopefully it's going to pass, you know, as the sun rises and, and sets, so will this end, you know. So that's like the 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 message that I keep myself, you know, encouraged by, uh, that this will, will this too shall pass, you know. And uh, I just love watching the sunset. That's not the perfect angle, but it's the only place I can get to see outside and get some fresh air and just, you know, look at the world and just wonder <laughs> about different things. With every episode, I share a prompt with you for your own reflection or for a conversation with someone you know. We heard from Alba and her converted home workspace that looks almost just like her workspace at the office. We've been introduced to Aichurek, whose rhythms have changed for the better with a move outside of the city, with nature walks and more fresh air. We've heard from Sonia and the daily view of the sunset that reminds her that this season too shall pass. You can find these photos that they've described and shared on our website and social media accounts. So let's get to this episode's prompt. Inspired by the scenes and experiences described in the photos of Elba, Sonia, and Aichurek, which of the following things would help you today? Would it be freshening up a space in your home, exploring a new walk outside, or finding the best view possible from where you are? Like Elba, you may consider adapting or recreating space in your home, patterned after your workplace, favorite cafe, yoga studio, or garden. You'll be surprised at what a bit of thoughtful rearranging can do. Or like our Churek, you may consider changing pace and taking in more of the outdoors, if permitted where you are considering lockdown or quarantine restrictions. Or like Sonia, you might consider finding the best view of the sky or your neighborhood that can inspire you and ground you. Pick a spot, spend some time there at your favorite time of day. Share your thoughts, ideas, or photos about what you've been inspired to do after this episode. Maybe this can spark a conversation with a friend, or maybe you'd like to reach out to me. Visit thisuncommonground.com where you can respond to every episode's prompt. You can also find me on Instagram and Twitter at this underscore uncommon. I'd love to hear from you. <laughs>